to read through Scripture, I'd read through First and Second Samuel, and uh, that kind of give you uh, some idea of what's taking place uh, in the life of David. And as you think about the life of David. For many of you here this morning, you know bits and pieces for sure of the life of David. It's a, a lot of times we hear familiar stories, and I think that's kind of the neat part as we go through this because we can take those things that we're familiar with, and my hope is, is that we can grow and mature through those lessons maybe that we've even heard since we were little kids or maybe for the very first time here this morning as we get into this series. But I think for many of you, when it comes to the life of David, you would know that David fought a giant named Goliath. Good job. And you would also know that David looked too long at and sinned with a woman named Bathsheba, and many of you could tell me that David was a shepherd that ended up being a king. And we know, again, that David was called a man after God's own heart. And so, again, as we begin this series, there will be things that you might be really familiar with, that you already know. It's like this little kid stuff, but my hope is that there might be some brand new things that the Holy Spirit works and tugs on your heart through that we might grow Maybe for the very first time hearing something new. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful again for time that we can spend together today. May you be honored through our presence together. God, I thank you for each one. And wherever they're at, God, whatever they're going through, whatever they might be dealing with this day, Father, I pray that uh, they would lay it at your feet, that your throne would be a safe place for them to come and just to, to be laid bare before you, allowing your Holy Spirit to continue to shape and mold each one of us into who you desire us to be. And so may we as a church be who you've called us to be as we desire to be faithful to your word and your teachings that we might proclaim your name above every other name. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. And so as we get into 1 Samuel, we're going to be looking at chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. And the title of the message this morning is Picked from the Pasture. Okay, uh, this little tongue-tied uh, title there, Picked from the Pasture, meaning where did this guy come from? Okay, who is this David and, and why is he showing up here in Scripture? He seems a lot like a nobody when it comes to the Scriptures. And maybe some of you are feeling that way this morning. Maybe at times you feel like a nobody. Maybe you feel like you're out in the pasture of life kind of doing your own thing. That no one really knows who you are. You don't, they don't know what you're going through. Maybe you feel very common when it comes to your abilities and talents. And, and I just want to just remind each one of us this morning that David was in a very similar situation. For many of us, we have in our minds of who should be used by God, that, that God should choose to, to use certain individuals, and maybe he should not even choose, you know, maybe he shouldn't choose certain individuals. And in our human minds, we have this idea that only those that are really influential, those that in, in the Christians, the circles, maybe someone like Tim Tebow, he's the one that God should always use to impact people that maybe I can't as much as he could and and we have this mentality that only again these big name christians in our world can be used by jesus and yet all throughout scripture as you read passage after passage of god's word you find that god picks people from the pasture 
He picks them out of wherever they're at. He uses the common person who is willing to be used by God. And the truth that we need to know and believe this morning, if we're really going to fully engage in the study of the life of David, a man after God's own heart, is that we have to realize that God isn't looking for perfect people. Amen? Amen. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for men and women who truly have God's interests at heart. And David was just that kind of man. And so before we read these verses, let me give you just a little quick background uh, information of what's taking place here. You, you have Israel desiring to have a king, so the, essentially they're rejecting God as their king, and they want a human king. And so we, they have Saul as their king, and yet God is choosing to reject Saul because Saul would not keep the Lord's command. Saul was told to wait seven days in Gilgal until Samuel arrived. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. And he was supposed to wait for Samuel to show up and present the burnt offerings to God. But Samuel, as the priest, he doesn't show up on time, just like many of us preachers. We get, lose track of time or someone catches our attention on the way out the door. And, and so Samuel is late to showing up. And so here's Saul, and he's starting, to, he's starting to get nervous because Saul's troops, they start to scatter. He's losing men. And so he decides he's going to do the burnt offering himself. And of course, after this takes place, here is Samuel showing up on the scene. And, and again, this idea when it comes to this offering that's being offered, it's not completely just Saul's sin isn't completely... T- uh, having to do with the act of doing the sacrifice, because you're, if you look at Scripture, both David in First Kings chapter three verse fifteen, and Solomon in Second Samuel chapter twenty four verse twenty five, they both offer similar sacrifices. The issue came when Saul was disobedient to what God's word had told him through the prophet Samuel, and so God has rejected Saul but has an eye, his eye on an, another. A man, as Samuel describes in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, as a man after God's own heart. And it's always amazing to me that, that God is always working upstream in our lives when, when we think that uh, there's no other possible option, that there's nothing else that can take place God is always working upstream in our lives. And so even though God has rejected Saul as the king of Israel, he already has his eye on a man after God's own heart. And so if you are able and willing this morning, will you stand with me as we turn and honor God, as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 and honor God through reading of his word, starting in verse 1 through verse 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear it about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. 
Samuel did what the Lord said. That's important. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, Eliab, I mess this up every time. Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Also very important. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. He will not sit down. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, "Rise and anoint him. He is the one." So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. You may be seated. And so you have Samuel who's in search of a man after God's own heart, and God sends him to Bethlehem. Did you catch that? He, he sends him to Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, not London, or New York City, or Washington, D.C., or even where the tabernacle was located. He sends him to Bethlehem, which was a little village outside of the noise and the crowds and all the movers and the shakers of that time it was Bethlehem and so down to Bethlehem Samuel travels to find God's anointed one and, and as he's heading down there I can just imagine Samuel thinking like oh what am I looking for here and, and I wonder in, in today the qualities what, what is God looking for in a person that is, is someone that has God's intentions in mind that someone that's seeking after God's own heart what are those qualities what do they look like and I'm sure David was wondering that on his way and again even for us here this morning what what is God still looking for in men and women that would make them people whose heart is is fully engaged in following God what, what kind of heart should we have this morning that would be fully engaged in following God? What is God looking for? And so there's just three things. They're, they're one-word things. If you're taking down notes, it's really quickly. The, the first one is spirituality. And I say spirituality not because it sounds spiritual, which it does sound spiritual, but, but because I don't really know how else better way to say it than this idea of spirituality. And, and so may, maybe we can define it or look into this word spiritual a little bit more. 
It doesn't mean this. It's not, this idea of spiritual doesn't mean just, you know, kind of bowed head, your, your hands folded, walking around, maybe like the ancient mystics, just waiting for the, the voice of the Lord to speak to you so that you would know where and what to do. That's, that's not really what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being spiritual. It doesn't mean that you're always ready with some prophetic thing to say, that you have to, to give a word of knowledge. It's not really what I'm talking about when I say spiritual. It, it doesn't mean that you can just quote a thousand different verses on any subject out there type of thing, but what I would say this morning, that a definition that I would like for us to try on for spirituality is living your life in harmony with God. Living your life in harmony with God. To be spiritual means you, you make God's thoughts your thoughts. God's priorities your priorities. What is important to God is important to you. What burdens God should break your heart as well. When he says, go right, you go right. And you don't ask questions. And I'm talking to my kids this morning, right? Okay, you know. When the Father asks you to do something, you just do it. And you don't ask questions because someone who is spiritual decides to follow God knowing that God doesn't need to explain himself. He's God. And so do what he calls you to do. A spiritual person is one whose heart is sensitive to the things of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says from the New Living Translation, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Can God see someone that is fully committed to Him when He looks at your life? Can He find you as He's searching the whole world over, because God is looking for men and women who are dedicated to him, sold out for him. And that was David. David was completely dedicated to God in every aspect of his life. You think about what David's life, his everyday life would have looked like and, and those responsibilities and those activities that he was involved in. And whatever he did, he did them for God. He put God first in all of those ways. And, and so what about you and I? Do we spend time in prayer while folding the laundry? Usually at my house, it's yelling at the kid that's not folding the laundry to start folding the laundry. But to be praying during that time, or do we express our praise to God when we go down to Denver and have to deal with Denver traffic? I don't know how many times I've, I can say I've been praising God during those times. But do we show God's love while, while trying to order pizza for last Wednesday night's family night meal? That was me, and, and I was trying to work with the young gal on the phone and trying to show her love even though I wasn't getting very far with my order, okay? Are we spiritual in all that we do? Because spirituality means that you invite God into your everyday activities, your ordinary, maybe at times in some ways dull or repetitive lives. Or, and do we spend time conversing with the God of creation about the dullness or, or about the hopes or the dreams or the disappointments or the surprises or the decisions about 
what to have for supper that night or, or how to be in prayer for one of our sick kids. The, the most spiritual people oftentimes are the most ordinary people. They aren't necessarily the, the religious leaders that we see on television, but the unseen housewives and, and the workers that we never see up front. These are the ones that are affecting the lives of men and women all over the world without ever getting their names mentioned in Christianity today or appearing on the Pure Flix streaming platform. A spiritual person is a man or a woman who longs to please God. They know that going in, that loving God with all their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength doesn't mean that it's always going to be pleasing to everyone around them in their lives, to their friends or their family members. Because if you look at David's life, it, it certainly didn't please all of his brothers. But a spiritual person, although they are concerned with the thoughts of others, they do not make what other people think their prime motivation for doing what they do. And let me say that again. A spiritual person, although they are concerned with the thoughts of others, they do not make what other people think their prime motivation for doing what they do. We don't live for other human beings. We live for God. And spiritual people know that at the end of their lives, they must answer to God. So they look to make their every moment count in the sight of God. And when they fail, which spiritual people do fail, and, and hopefully it's not quite as dramatic as how David oftentimes would fail, but spiritual people turn quickly to God. They grieve over their wrongs and allow God's grace and forgiveness to guide their future actions. A spiritual person is an everyday person who chooses to put God first in everything they do. And I wonder, is that you today? Is that you? I think a second quality that God is still looking for is humility. And it's hard, uh, Look, if you look at David's life, I think it was probably hard for David to be one of eight sons and to be the youngest to ever be in a position of pride. And I, I thought about Berkeley in our family. She oftentimes gets manhandled. She, she has to, she sometimes is the, the last one, sometimes she's the first, but she, she's the one that is the youngest in our family of eight. And I just thought about that comparison of what David must have gone through as the youngest of eight boys. And I'm sure he learned to be humble in, in a hurry because I'm sure you've also heard that it's, it's been said, humility comes through humiliation. And some of you maybe have experienced that in life. When Samuel arrives in Bethlehem, he, he asks Jesse to assemble his sons. And so Jesse s starts with his oldest, and he parades his sons in front of the prophet Samuel, who at God's instructions is looking for the next king. And when Samuel sees Eliab, the eldest, he says, hey, yep, 
That's our man. That's, it's got to be him. And you'd think Samuel would have learned his lesson from anointing Saul because that's kind of what Saul had going for him. We read in 1 Samuel 10, 23 that Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone else. You know, From a human perspective, he looked like the next king. But God had to remind Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. God looks at each and every one of your hearts. So Samuel continues on down the line of Jesse's sons, and, and when the seventh son appears, and Samuel still has really no instructions from the Holy Spirit, he begins to think something's not quite right here. And so he says to Jesse, hey, well, what, what, are you sure that there's not another son? Do you, do you have anybody else? Is there any other sons that you might have? And, and I don't know what Jesse, why he left David out. You know, he probably had his multiple different reasons, but it probably in his mind, he had seven good sons to choose from here, right? Seven is a perfect number in Scripture. And so here's a complete set of people that you can, guys that you can choose from, Samuel. Seven, here we go. And, and who could ask for more? And Samuel, of course, he asks for more. Is there anybody else? And scratching his beard, Jesse's like, Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot, I, I got, I got my youngest son, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, I forgot all about him, but he's, 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 probably he's not really much good beyond just tending the sheep at this point, he, he's the eighth son, and it was, it's interesting, I did a little study on the number eight, if you were to do a study, you would find that the number eight in scripture represents a new beginning, meaning a, a new order or creation, and man's true born-again event when he is resurrected from the dead into eternal life has to do with this number eight because in those days, Jewish boys, they, they were circumcised on the eighth day. And so the number eight symbolizes circumcision of the heart that takes place through the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And we see that in Romans chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 2 that we just spent time studying and those in Christ are becoming a new creation with godly character being created by the power of God's Spirit in their life. And this number eight shows up in David. David was the least of his family, and yet as the eighth son, he was to be a new beginning for the kingdom of Israel. And so when David does appear, the Lord says, yep, there you go. He's the one. Anoint him. And you see, even when your family forgets you, even when your dad doesn't invite you to the party when the prophet Samuel shows up and, and everybody's having a great time of, of being around this individual, God remembers you. We see two things taking place here. God doesn't forget who you are, and God sees what others don't. And I pray that you remember that today. God doesn't forget who you are, and God sees what others don't. And so we need to remain humble. The world is all about having the right look and sufficient degrees and, and who you know that makes you popular and acceptable. But what does God say? 
1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I think we all probably could fall into one of those categories this morning, right? But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, that are so that no one may boast before him. We must remain humble because when the whole world is enamored with power and beauty and strength and royalty, it takes a humble spirit to answer the call of God. And you know that everyone in Israel was going to be comparing David to Saul. Little, little boy David to big man Saul because Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. But God makes his choices differently from the way that you and I oftentimes make our choices. We choose the rich and, and the famous to be our friends because it might make us into somebody admired by the world. But God chooses nobodies, and he makes them into somebodies. And this is just a side note. As you look at what's taking place here in verse six, chapter 16, when it comes to serving in the kingdom of God, some in the church might think that it's just the preacher's job, right? That's what we pay him to do, and that's true to a certain extent, okay? But it's interesting that in this passage, God didn't choose a person who was from the priestly tribe. He didn't choose someone that would fall into that priestly tribe. He, he chose David. And I think some church members think that if you want to get something done in the kingdom, you, ha you have to find the minister and get the pastor involved. And he's special and he's, he has a title and he knows. But then... You read about people who were really who really made a difference in the world. And most of the time they are people without ministerial credentials, but full of love and the Holy Spirit. And as I look out into this room, I see many, many people full of love and the Holy Spirit. God wants to use you. He, he's picking you from the pasture to be used in a mighty way. For his kingdom. Regular people. At times. Sinful people. Real people. You know the, the ones that Jesus. Liked to spend time with. If you think about David. He's a huge man of faith. And a total mess up at the same time. Right. He's a huge man of faith, but a total mess up at the same time. And so I can identify with David. He's human. Eugene Peterson says to think about David fighting, David praying, loving, sinning. David conditioned by the morals and assumption of a brutal Iron Age culture. David with eight wives. David angry. David devious. David generous. David 
dancing. There's nothing, absolutely nothing that God can't and doesn't use to work his salvation and holiness into our lives. And if we're going to get the most out of the Jesus story, we'll first want to soak our imaginations in the David story. Because I believe that David, he can remind us. He he reminds us that God uses our everyday selves to serve him. And it should humble us to think about all the different weaknesses that we have in our lives. But that in those weaknesses, the miraculous grace of God shines ever so bright into this dark, dark world. And so the final quality that I want to make mention of from David's life this morning is integrity. In Psalm chapter 78, verses 71 and 72, chapter 78, verse 71 and 72, we read this. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Did you get that? With the honor and integrity of his heart, David cared for his people. It it comforts me to know that God isn't looking for the spectacular among us. He's looking for the down-to-earth spirituality that is humble enough to know that we are nothing without God. And that we need to have the honesty and integrity to stay true to our Lord. And so integrity means complete, whole, innocent, sound, unimpaired. It is deep down in your soul honest. And it's the quality that makes you completely reliable to your job even when your boss isn't watching. It's a quality that encourages you to do your best even if you aren't getting paid. It's the quality that helps others know that your word is your bond without you having to sign a contract or saying that you swear. This was the heart of David. Now, we later find out his actions weren't always noble and sometimes his sin ended up actually causing death in others' lives. But when he was confronted, he never blamed someone else. Integrity says, the cause of my sin stops here with me. The the buck stops here. And when Samuel confronted King Saul with not obeying the Lord, Saul said, I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's commands. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. 1 Samuel 15, 24. You see, that's not a confession. It's an accusation against someone else. But when Nathan confronted David with the sin of taking Bathsheba and having her husband killed, David didn't add to his confession but simply said, 2 Samuel 12, 13, 
I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. That's integrity. And so as the praise team comes this morning, God is still looking for men and women who have a heart for Him. To be a person after God's heart, you need to have an honest, real spirituality. You need to be humble with who you are in God's sight. And you need to have integrity of heart. And these things just don't happen overnight. They take time. Don't get discouraged. It's a journey. Alan Redpath said, The conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. The manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. When God develops people after his own heart, he's never in a hurry. And that gives me goosebumps because I'm thankful for that. That God is patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But he wants all to come to the knowledge of his grace. It's a lifelong process. And so as we close this morning, my question for each one of us is, are you in it for life? Are you willing to be picked from the pasture? Because God wants to use you in a mighty way. But you have to choose to be used by Him. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And maybe you've never committed your life completely over to Jesus Christ. And you need to be baptized into Him to be clothed with Him. We'd encourage you to come. If that's something you just need to study out. You're not quite there yet, but you want to talk to someone about that. We'd love to talk to you. If you just need to be prayed for this morning, we encourage you to come. If you're someone that has not been a plugged into a church in a long time and you just want to get plugged in, you want to place membership with this family of believers, we'd invite you to come. Will you stand with us as we sing?